0: Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you are here. And we are in this series, finishing up this series today called A New Way to Be Human. You know, as we just began to look around that there's just a lot of conflict. There's a lot of change that we've all experienced. And it feels like there's a better way to live. Amen, somebody? Feels like there's a better way to live. And the question that we've been asking, or we started off asking was, how's it going? How's my life going on the inside? On the inside. Because we, we tend to look at the outside, don't we? And we tend to look at how life's going on the outside, like your football team won. Not by much, Georgia fans. You shouldn't be too excited about that. Uh, you know, how did my football team win? I mean, you know, Florida should even be happy today. They didn't play yesterday. They couldn't lose. So, um, you know, we look at the outside. We look at how our jobs are going. We look at how our relationships are going. We look at the outside. But what about the inside? Like, what about when you take a look under the hood of your life and you begin to examine what's going on? How's your joy meter going? How much joy are you experiencing in life? Like, how are those conversations going that you don't say out loud? You just have them in your head all the time? Like, what is it that you wake up thinking about? What, what is it that, that you worry about? And what do you wake up talking to yourself about, hoping for? How, how's your hope for the future going? Like, what's it look like on the inside? You know, one of the things that has bubbled up over the last uh, six months or so, obviously uh, during the pandemic we had, it but something that hasn't gone away, is that a lot of people, when you look underneath the hood of their lives, they are experiencing loneliness. Loneliness. You know, a, a recent study showed that, that 57%, you're not ready, 57% of people eat every single meal by themselves. Every meal. Now, now I know some of you introverts are like, how can I get that in my life? <laughs> but we know that that's just not the way that life's supposed to be lived. You know, another interesting fact that, is, that has come out is that of, of the states that have over 8 million people, kind of larger states, Georgia ranks number one at people feeling lonely. Georgia is number one. You see, this is not just hunger. This is spiritual malnutrition that we're facing you know, th- there's some loneliness that even friends can't fix. There's some loneliness that, that, that a shopping spree won't eradicate. There's some loneliness that binge-watching the office won't ease. There's some loneliness that only God can fill. Amen? Only God can fill. Man, can you imagine if you were to wake up every morning and just had this sense of God's presence in your life, that you weren't alone? That you knew that no matter what the day threw at you, what decision you had, what problem you needed to solve, what confusion you were having, you knew there was going to be an answer. Like, Can you imagine always having a sense of poise and calm no matter what comes your way? Can you imagine a sense of overwhelming, overriding peace no matter what turn your life took that can come only from the Holy Spirit? And so today what we want to do is we're going to kind of land at this idea of the peace that God, only God can give, only the Holy Spirit can give. And I think, if I'm not wrong, and if I know people like I do, peace is something we all could use. Amen, somebody? Like, peace is something that we could all enjoy. Peace is something we could all have more of. Peace is something that we would love to characterize our lives. So let's grab our Bible. We're going to be in the book of John today, the book of John chapter 14, we're going to be in the book of John. Now, John was a friend of Jesus. Um, he was one of the top three. He was one of the three people closest to Jesus. Um, so he knew a lot of the ins and outs of how Jesus operated, the things that Jesus did, the things that he said, how he handled situations and how he handled people. And right now, in, in the particular part we're going to look at, Jesus is on the way to be executed, and, and he's going to leave them physically, so he's trying to reassure them that he's, he's going to send someone um, to take care of them, to be, do exactly the same things that he did. So in John chapter 14, if we look at verse 15, it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to see you. And then and then, and then I will come to you. And then jump down to verse 25. It says this. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then here's the outcome. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Like this is the promise and the offer that we have from God. Now, now, just a couple of things to kind of paint the picture of what they're experiencing. He says another helper, and that means one just like me. So they had experienced Jesus in a lot of ways. They had conversation with him, um, and they had seen him perform miracles. Uh, they had seen his teaching. They had seen him confront the religious leaders. They had seen him do so many things. I mean, they had seen him walk on the ocean, for crying out loud. And so now he's just wanting them to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm going to be executed I'm going to resurrect from the dead, and then I'm going to go into heaven. So that's where Jesus is now. And I don't want you to be alone. Like I want, and I'm going to send someone to be with you. I'm going to send the helper. The word literally means called alongside. You know, because when we think of helper, we usually think of subservient. But the word means called alongside. That Jesus has been called, the Holy Spirit has been called to come alongside us, to be with us, and to be in us. There's three different prepositions that are used to talk about how this looks. He says, with us, in us, and beside us right, with us, in us, and beside us. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, I think we know orphans. When we think of orphans, we think of someone who's been left, don't we? We think of something very sad and tragic. We think of someone who has no one to advocate for them, no one to help them. It's also used for someone who doesn't have a guardian or a teacher or a guide. This is what an orphan is, and so Jesus says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan. You, you need some help." You know, when you think of orphan, I always, I always think of little orphan Annie. Anybody else? It's a hard knock life. Come on, you can sing that for me, Mackenzie. Come on, um, it's a hard knock life for us, right? And that, this is what we know about orphans: there's something in their life that is not working and they can't figure it out and listen we've all had the experience of being alone maybe it was the first day you went to a new school because your parents got transferred you had no friends and you weren't sure how it was going to go you didn't know how to get to lunch or where you were going to sit in the lunchroom. room we, we've had this experience how many parents in the room today like you know you experienced it You're, you have that that first child is born and they take you out to the car They put that child in the car seat and they close the door and you're like, wait, aren't you sending a healthcare professional home with us? (laughs) Because we have no idea what we're doing. We are all what? Alone. We feel alone. Like my daughter um, recently, she has a six-month-old. They were in town because she lives in Florida and were kind of displaced briefly with the hurricane. And so she was in town with with their six-month-old, Lila Jane. And I can remember when we would visit her before the baby was born. Um, she had a calendar on her refrigerator, and the, on the due date of when Lila Jane was to be born, it said, keep a baby human alive, right? That's all she could think of. How is this going to work? I don't know what I'm doing, and this is the experience of being alone. Something's not working in life. Maybe it was the first day you showed up at your new job. Like, I don't know where things are. I don't know how people are going to like me. You know, maybe it was the first time you came to church, because it just felt intimidating you didn't know where to go. You know what was like? Are they going to be weird? Is it, what are they going to teach? How's this? How's this flow? Am I dressed right? Like, what are other people? Man, we we think, man, we're just alone. I mean, it could be after that breakup. And it could be maybe a, was a boyfriend, girlfriend, or fiance, or even a marriage that was dissolved, and you just had this feeling of being all alone. It could be the death of a parent or a close friend, and you. You keep reaching for that phone out of reflex, but as soon as you grab it, you realize, oh, they're not on the other end of the phone. And we feel alone as if life's not working. You know, and men feel this a lot. You know, men feel like they have this responsibility and this image. And so many men I talk to, are like, one day people are going to find out I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to be exposed. And this happens especially as you get into marriage. You know, because cause in my life, my wife's a different personality type than I am. And she's like real spontaneous and throws out ideas all the time it's about things that she can do and she would love for us to do. And I'm not, so just to put it bluntly, because I'm very structured and planned. And if it's not planned, why would we do it? And then she'll throw out things like, hey, we should do this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah we should. Um, but if it doesn't work out, then I'm the one that's going to have to be responsible for it. So why would I want to do that? Because why I feel like I don't have enough information. I don't have what it takes. I'm not going to be able to come through. And this is something that, that guys, we we have a fear of. Getting into a work situation and not knowing which decision to make. And finding ourselves without a job and not believing that God's going to provide for that. We have this insecurity that kind of creeps in. And, ladies, you have it probably worse. I have a leadership coach, and he's actually based in London. And he told me once, and told Debbie and I, he said, you know, uh, the expectations that are placed on Southern women are higher than it, different than anywhere in the world. It says you have more pressure on you than anywhere in the world. Any ladies feel that today? (laughs) Man, you got pressure to be the perfect mom, be sure your kids are always dressed, always behave, always doing the right thing. You know, to be the perfect neighbor, always have the gift of hospitality, know what to cook, when to cook, and when to deliver it. You feel this pressure to be the perfect wife or girlfriend, or fiance, just have this pressure, and it's a lot to bear up under, and what happens is we just begin to feel like, man, there's something in my life that's not working. I don't know how to handle it. I feel alone. Let me ask you this question. Where do you feel like your life isn't working? Can you just examine your life today? Just do an honest assessment. Like, where do you feel like this is not working? Now, listen, I know you do a really good job of making it look like it works, right? I mean, you're wearing your Peter Millar. You got it put together. You got your clouds on. You look the part. You're driving the right car, living in the right house, and nobody would ever know. But like, where do you feel like your life's not working? And is it in your marriage today? It could be that there's some areas in your marriage like, oh, I don't know. Like, we have some conflict. We're not on the same page. Things aren't going the way they should go. And you feel like it's not working. It could be in the area of purpose. You wake up every morning thinking, I hate my job. Like, I don't want to go. But you don't know what else to do. You got nowhere else to turn. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe you have a rebellious teenager or something's going on and you just can't figure out how to kind of get over the hump with them. Like, where is it that you feel like your life is not working? Jesus says, you are not alone. Now, he uses this word helper. He uses it in verse 16 and then he uses it again later. And, you know, as I said earlier, it feels like that word is subservient to. But in the Bible, God calls himself a helper. It's one just like Another another word for it in another way that um, John describe another way way to describe the word helper is a friend who will help in a time of need. You got some friends like that, like you got you 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 had to move and they showed up to help you move because real friends help you move, don't they? I got the spiritual gift of not being there when you move. I'll be in India or somewhere if you're moving. Like I'm I'm out right. But, man, they'll show up to help you move, or maybe you have a project going. They'll let you borrow um, a a yard tool, or maybe you run out of butane when you're cooking out for your friends, and you didn't invite them over, but they'll let you use that backup butane tank they have in their grill. You know, we got friends. This is what it means. You got friends who they'll show up in a difficult time. They'll help wipe away your tears. They'll give you a shoulder to cry on. Man, they're the people you'll call when you want to celebrate because sometimes, you know, you feel alone when you have some good news to share and you got nobody to share it with. And they'll be there. You can call them. And this is what the Holy Spirit, this is who he is. He shows up. He's like a friend that helps in time of need. Another word for Holy Spirit, another nuance to it is advocate. Like someone who shows up in a legal context. Someone who will speak for you and stand beside you. That's another word for the Holy Spirit. He's also called comforter. When you need someone to come alongside just to give you some peace to give you some support I don't know if you've noticed this but when you go through when people go through difficult times and you show up inevitably what happens like I just don't I don't know what to say you don't have to say anything you just have to show up Man, God's spirit the Holy Spirit shows up he's a counselor he can give direction and forward thinking in times of confusion man Jesus just points out this is the Holy Spirit and he he actually lives within us in 1 Corinthians chapter six it says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right, who you have from God. And I don't know how some of you grew up hearing that verse, but when I grew up hearing that verse that my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's like you better not smoke and drink or eat sugar or you'll die. It's like, you know, you have to take good care of that temple God has given you. And absolutely, you should take good care of the temple that God has given you. But eat a little sugar once in a while for crying out loud. But what he's talking about is God's presence used to dwell in the temple, and now it dwells in our hearts. And that we literally have the presence of God that wherever we go, whatever we face, God's presence is living and active inside of us is what John is saying and what Jesus is offering us. He uses this phrase, spirit of truth, spirit of truth. He says, "He, he will be with you forever. In verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells in you and he will be in you, right? And so we get this idea of truth. Now we live in a day where truth is relative. You know, you've seen this happen. Hey, you do you, boo, right? And the reality is we can do truth and not, and not do God's truth. It's going to end in destruction, okay? It's going to end in sadness because there is a way the world works, And it's called the way of the kingdom. And in God's economy, it's upside down. Have you heard this phrase, the first will be last? I'm like, no way, man, the first are first. (laughs) We live in a culture, the first get the trophy, and the last get forgotten. And Jesus says the first will be last. Guess what? The last, they'll be first. Man, the last will elevate, the last will rise up. He says if you want to save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, then that's how you save it. This is what Jesus teaches, this upside-down version of, of, the, of the kingdom. and it. But the world gives us a different way to live. You know, we're all being discipled by somebody. We're all figuring out our truth from somebody. Too many times it's either CNN or Fox News. Somebody say amen right there. You know you felt guilty when I said it. It may be USA Today for you. I don't know. For some people, their greatest truth is ESPN. I mean, sometimes we don't know our Instagram. But we're all being, being indoctrinated. We all are getting messages. We're all being trained. We're all living out a truth. We're all figuring out a way that we think the world works. And Jesus is saying the world works differently. And the world cannot give you the truth that God can give you. You know, I was uh, in Vancouver recently, uh, and there was a, there's a mural there, a famous mural uh, of Anthony Bourdain, and there's this quote on there, and it's tragic to me. It says, your body's not a temple, it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Live for today. Man, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Don't, don't think about what happens later. This is the wisdom of the world. Now, now, when we think of the spirit of truth, there's two ways that we can hold on to this every single day. The first one is we just need to hold on to the truth of who God is, right? We need to hold on the truth of who God is because we forget. You know, 60% of Christians that go to church don't believe there's a Holy Spirit. And now, just to put this in perspective, the belief of the Holy Spirit has been Orthodox Christianity for, oh, as long as there have been Christians, for over 2,000 years. And so 60% of people who go to church don't believe that. See, the problem in our country isn't that we took the Ten Commandments out of schools. The problem is that we don't know who God is in the church. Amen? And so 60% of people don't understand, and we have to hold on to who God is. And here's the one thing we have to remember. You should say this to yourself every day when you wake up. God is good. Like three words. It is so simple. God is good. No matter what the world is telling me, no matter what my circumstances are saying, no matter the problems I face or the questions I can't seem to answer, God is good. I can trust him. And when we begin to see God that way, it changes everything about us. It changes how we live. It changes... Our relationships, we become better friends, we become better parents, we become better spouses. Man, we just believe that God is good. The first piece of truth that we need to grab onto and never let go with tenacity is that God is good. Yeah, yeah I like that. Hey, hey, the second one is we need to remember who we are. Man, you have to remind yourself who you are. Now listen, the Bible knows who you are better than you do. Man, we, we're self-deceptive. You ever notice how we can put some false narratives in our mind? Have you ever played the what if scenario? Like you got a little bad news, something happened, and next thing you know, you have what ifed it till you're gonna be in the grave tomorrow morning at seven o'clock? Man, we just can what if tragedy and disaster, and we miss the truth of who we are and who God says that we are. Now, granted, we're nothing without God. That's really important to remember. That's why we hold on to who God is first. We're nothing without God. But with God, we are everything. Man, with God, we are somebody. With God, it says this. Oh, let me read this. Over in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Listen to this this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, when he says sons, he's not talking about gender, male or female. He's talking about a son gets the full inheritance. So he's saying no matter who you are, you follow Jesus, you get the full inheritance. Right? You're just waiting in line for it. Man, he's giving us the inheritance. We are in the family. It says that, you know, it reminds me whenever I hear that, it says, I remember when we were kids. you remember how you would maybe brag on your dad over other kids' dads? Like, my dad could beat up your dad. You remember that? Like, my dad, my dad can beat up your dad. I think in our culture, it would probably be like, my dad's Jeep's bigger than your dad's Jeep. That's probably how we'd say it in Milton. But, man, we, we, we <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, man, when we get out, we know who we are, that God has given us value, that God is our dad. And he calls us sons and daughters. This is who God is. This is who we are. And we've been adopted. We were bought with a price. You are chosen. The Bible says you're a saint. And the book of Psalms, says you're the apple of God's eye. It says you're a royal priesthood. It says that you have value and worth. And then ultimately, man, God put his money where his mouth is. And Jesus died for us to show us our value and worth. Listen, we're all worth as much as someone would pay for us. No greater price than Jesus dying on the cross. So listen, hold on to the truth of who you are. But first, got to hold on to the truth of who God is. And God is good. God is good. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Then we get to peace. In John 14, verse 27, he says, Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because they knew he was leaving. He's telling them he's leaving, but he's talking to them about leaving them with this peace. And man, when he says he gives it to them, it's just this gift. And peace is a gift that the world has no capacity to give us. And it reminds me of, you know, a Christmas morning when you run downstairs and you grab your gift and you open it up and look inside and you open it and what's in there? Peace. And it reminds me of, you know, a young adult man just getting down on one knee and holding up that little box and open it and what's in that box? This is the gift that we have. And listen, the world has no capacity to give it to us. You know, there's an image that, that that I have of, you know, when when Greyhound dogs, when they race, they chase an electronic rabbit. And they're not supposed to catch it. But every now and then the rabbit will the, the electronics will fail and the rabbit will just fall over in the middle of the racetrack. What do dogs do then? Well, the dogs run up to it. They begin to run in circles around it. They begin to jump up and down and bark. They do nothing. I wonder if this is how God sees us when we chase after things They can't bring peace, and that's what we get. It wasn't supposed to be funny, but I guess it is. <laughs> that we catch the thing that we've been chasing. We catch the job or the man or the car or the house. We catch it, and then we're like, what? This didn't deliver what I thought it would deliver. I don't know what to do. Peace. The idea for peace is not just the absence of conflict. Because we know we're going to have that. The idea for peace is the idea of wholeness. Shalom is the word that's used in the Bible. It's this idea of just it comes completely together. Like, I don't know if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle. But we do them when we're on vacation. You get a puzzle and it's got a thousand pieces. You know, every now and then, Some people really like doing the puzzle, and some people want to participate to be part of the family. (laughs) And those people may take a piece and try to put it in a spot, and it looks like it goes, but you can tell it doesn't really fit. But then there's those times when you get three or four pieces, and they go and they fit perfectly with the other pieces. And the picture begins to come together, like that, Shalom. Wholeness. Have you ever had a day where you thought, this is the way life should be? And everything came together. You had a great meal. Everybody was on time in your life. You know, you had no conflict. You got to do the things that you loved and enjoyed, and you got to the end of the day. Maybe it was your birthday or something. You got to the end of the day like, that's the way life should be. And that's the image we have of what peace means on the inside. And only the Holy Spirit can bring lasting peace. The world has no ability to bring us the peace that we're all looking for. Let me give you this example. So if you've, heard, you've heard the phrase white knuckling. Like if you've ever taught a teenager to drive, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you hold your fists so tight together that your knuckles turn white. Let's, let's all do that real quick. I'm sh- let's pretend we're in the car with a 16-year-old. So just hold them really tight for a second. You can just see them start to turn white. Then take a deep breath. Let it out and let go of your hands. And that, that's, that's how peace should feel in our hearts. Because so many of us, we're just white-knuckling it through life. And we're just holding on, hoping against hope things are going to work out. Man, thinking maybe we'll find some peace along the way. And God's like, man, I got you. I got you. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can bring us peace. Listen, peace is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Peace is the promise of the Holy Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, when we try to do the things God wants us to do, God shows up in a way says, that passes understanding. Listen, you've been through difficult times before, and maybe you experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. Or you've seen someone walk through a difficult time. You know, I, As a pastor, uh, you know, I, as I say, a lot of times our jobs are very similar uh, and one way they're not is I'm probably I probably go to a lot more funerals than you do. And there is a distinct difference between a funeral of someone who believes and someone who doesn't. It's just this Holy Spirit peace that only God can give. Like, where do you need Holy Spirit peace today? Where do you need God to step in, give you some poise, give you some calm? Man, just calm the waters of your soul today, like. Where do you need Holy Spirit peace? Now in the next few minutes we have, I want to talk about two different ways that we get that, man. Two, two words that are gonna help us to experience Holy Spirit peace. First one's obey. The second one is abide. Obey and abide, and I'll unpack those. In verse 15, it says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like very simple. Seems out of place if you're just reading this. If you love me, you'll 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 keep my commandments. Now what keep means, just watch guard observe do <laughs> so if you love me you'll keep my commandments this is the this is what Jesus says if you love me you'll do the things that I say to do and, and, and this is the word where we say o- obedience is the word it's called obeying God it's called obeying God I mean we disconnect love from obedience so many times and I think there's good reason some of us probably grew up in a church where there was a lot of rules to obey and you're not really sure where they came from are you And what happens is a religious system gets built, and in order to at least give some guardrails and some parameters that the religious systems and that we're fitting in the system, there are some rules that are put up that we obey, that we do. But eventually what happens is kind of the original intent of the religion goes out the window, and it's only the rules that are left. And so you kind of get this situation where people tell you to follow some rules, and you're like, why? And it comes out like this, because I said so, right? Because I said so. Just because you're supposed to. And if someone gives you rules to follow just because, you know what we do? We're just going to make up our own rules and do our own thing. Like, I don't need your rules. Mine are better because I can do what I want to do. And so we don't like the idea of obedience. And sometimes we forget how important it is when it comes to a love relationship. Like, how many of you guys are married in here? Right? Like, a handful. Like, here's the thing. There are times... That we'll do something our spouse wants us to do, not because we want to, but because we love our spouse. Amen? Hello, spouses out there. Like, there are times that that happens. We do some things. My wife will ask me to do some things, and I don't grumble and say, I don't want to do that. Man, I'm just like, yes, dear. What time do I need it done by? Can you write it down for me? Because I'll forget. Right? I mean, so there's so many things around the house that I don't do. So many things around the house that I don't do. I don't make the bed. I don't do the laundry. I don't do a lot of things. But then again, there are some things that I do that I do for her and that she does for me. So like on Sunday morning, if I need something ironed or wrinkles taken out or uh, sewn together or whatever, you know, I'm like, Debbie, can you do that? I'm busy. And she gets it, right? She does things for me. I do things for her. Why? Because I love and adore her, not because I'm following the rules. And we do things that God asks us to do because we love and adore him. And you know what else? It is what's good for us because he knows the way the world works. That we can do the things God asks us to do because there's a way that the world works. You see, disobedience, man, it's not, it's not a mistake. It's a value statement. Let me say that again. Disobedience not a mistake. It's a value statement. When I do the things that my wife wants me to do, it's a value statement. And when I do the things or don't do the things that God wants me to do, it's a value statement. And God has this ability to really engage people who value him. In other words, love him. So he says, if you love him, you will obey my commandments. Now, sometimes we do some things and we think that's enough. Like, I went to church. I gave a little bit. I volunteered. I was nice to my neighbor. <laughs> and he said, just do what I ask you to do. Like, where are you not keeping God's commandments? Like, what commandments do you know God has for you? Like, I, I know better than God today. I got my own truth today. Like, where are you maybe? You've told some little lies, some white lies. You're like, ah, I did it just to keep myself out of trouble. And you know inside, guys, like, you need to go make that right. You're like, huh? I don't think so. I think it's fine, it'll blow over. Like it may be in the area of sexual purity, married or not married. You may have some impurity going on. You know, Jesus said this, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Like maybe that's the area for you where you're not following God's commands. You know, it could be just in the area of judgmentalism, where you talk you've talked about people, you've gossiped, you've thrown them under the bus. And it was all in good fun, but you know, man, there's this sense of, oh, that's not what God would have me to do. Like, where is it that you're not keeping God's commandments? So many times, well, God will ask us to do one thing. or like, I'll get to that later. Tell me what's next. Guess what? You're not going to get next until you go back and do that thing. It'd be like you telling your kids, hey, go, go clean your room. And they're like, I want to go to Sky Zone. What are you going to say? You can go to Sky Zone after you clean your room. Like, this is the same principle with God that we obey. Hey, the second thing we have is abide. We obey and then we abide. John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine. Now, in in this context, they would have understood that the nation of Israel was the vine. And the vine meaning that the life support system for the world. That through the vine, God was going to use that to, to, to bring life to the world, And Jesus is now saying, I am the vine. So what he's saying is, God's going to use me to bring life to the world. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, there's that word, abides, abides in me, I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we had this idea of continuous dependence on God. Just continuous dependence on God. And the whole goal of that is that we would produce fruit that God has this purpose for us that we would live this out that, that we would be people who actually produce fruit in our lives and we have the fruit of the kingdom of God in our lives and and Jesus we know was the most productive person in history and so we say in the way I did it abide just continuous dependence I remained in God I put my focus on Jesus I did the things I was supposed to do this is where where we want God to invade our lives you know, practical is where I fit God into my life. Producing fruit is where I fit my life into God's life. Like, cause, I mean, most of us are going to try to fit God in our life, especially if we have a need. It goes a little like this. Hey, God, I got this plan. Would you bless that plan? Could you just help me with that plan? Because, God, you know, whatever comes out of that plan, I'll, I'll give it back to you. Man, I'll give you half of it. Like, if you just give me this plan, and we ask God to bless our plan rather than asking God what his plan would be. So we try to fit God into our life rather than to fit my life into God's life. One one guy said it like this, and I love this phrase. He says, slow down to catch up to God's speed. Slow down to catch up to God's speed. So this just means every single day we wake up and we just express our dependence on God. First thing that we do. We get up every morning like, God, you're good. I'm going to remember that. Man, you've told me who I am. I'm, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. That's who I am. And God, I'm just, I, I need you all day today. There's no part of this day that I don't want you integrated in. There's no part. that not, not, not eating breakfast. Not driving to work. Not my first meeting. Not taking the kids to school. I want you to be in all of it. This is how God wants us to operate. That he is integrated. That we abide in him in that way. And that's how God's spirit begins to work in our life. That's how we give him permission And God begins to work, and God begins to give us peace, and God begins to do some things that we can't do. It's just by abiding and remaining in him. You see, most of us, this is how we go through life. We work really hard. We work, 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 and then what do we do? We rest. Maybe it's on the weekend. Maybe it's taking a vacation. We just work really hard, and then we rest. But in the Bible, in God's kingdom, it's upside down. First, we rest. We take our time with Him. And then we work. See, in our economy, we work, we rest from work. And usually it's recovery, it's not even rest. But in God's economy, we work from rest. Have you ever noticed how much more productive you are when you're rested? When you give your brain time to think? Like, how many great ideas have you had in the shower? Because your brain had some time to process and think. But generally what we do is we work. Then we work some more. and Then we what? We we work some more. Then we recover. And we never have this soul rest that gives us the ability to produce fruit. If I were to ask you how you're doing, there's one word that comes up more than any. How are you doing? I am busy. Busy. Man, I got so much to do. If I were to say, what are you doing this afternoon? And you were to say to me, Man, I got nothing. I'm going to rest. I'm going to watch the Falcons lose. Man, I, I just got nothing going on. And then after you said that, you know what you'd feel? Guilty. Because you'd be like, I'm the only one with nothing to do. Because we're just taught, we're conditioned. We're conditioned, hey, well, I'm just going to rest from work rather than work from rest. He says, abide in me. Man, do you start each day with de- expressing your dependence on God? Man, believing that God wants to do a special work in your life. And wanting God to take that day and make it his and not yours, do you start every day in dependence on God. Man, throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, God's spirit shows up. Peace is always the offer. Man, this is the same spirit that hovered over the waters when there was nothing but chaos and watery abyss and brought land to happen and light to shine. It's the same God that took Adam and Eve and he breathed the breath of life into their lungs. And this is the same spirit that was in the burning bush as Moses walked by and he says, hey, I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And this is the same spirit that met God, that met Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. And this is the same spirit that whispered in a still, small voice to Elijah after he defeated the prophets of Baal. And it is the same spirit that was with Daniel in the lion's den. And he closed the mouth of hungry lions. This is the same Holy Spirit that met Jesus in his baptism and showed up as a dove and gave him his identity as a son of God. And it's the same Holy Spirit In the early church when they prayed, it says, and the walls shook because the Holy Spirit showed up. And this is the same Holy Spirit that that we have today that God wants to use to bring us peace. Listen, I know that in in a room like this, we have a lot of needs. And one of the things that the church is called in the Bible is a house of prayer. And one of the ways that God's Spirit works is through prayer. You know, many of you last week, we prayed for you. God did something. And and we want to be able to offer that again today. So as we close our service, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to stand up to worship. And we're just going to have some folks down front that can just pray for you. And so I just want to give you a few categories of what you may need prayer for. You know, it may be that your marriage is in a very difficult situation right now. Man, you're just roommates, just kind of getting along. And you know there's more to that, more to your marriage than life offers. But you got some pride. You don't want anybody to know. And you certainly don't want to admit any wrongdoing. And maybe today's the day where we could just pray for you and just pray for your marriage and that God could do something to set you free. Man, it could be that you're struggling with peace, that you're struggling with all this anxiety, man, and turmoil. And, and, and it feels like you're trying to... Put, you know, the wrong piece of the puzzle together in your own soul. That that's what you're experiencing today. Man, and, you can, and God just wants to bring you peace today. It's a peace that passes understanding. And we'd love to be able to pray for you to really see God do that. You know, it could be that you're struggling with infertility today. and You're mad at God. And you're mad at the world. And you're judgmental and jealous and resentful and bitter that's just not the way you want to live it's not the person you want to be and if we could just pray for you for, for all of that, that God would give you a child but also that God could heal your broken heartedness and your bitterness and your shame, and your guilt I Man, it could be that it's a financial burden that you're facing a job loss or some bad decisions and you're just facing all this pressure and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and God's spirit just wants to give you peace today I And mean, it could be you have a teenager or a kid that's just struggling and you want to pray for them I, I would encourage you to come tonight whether you have a kid or a teenager but also let us pray over you and pray for your family and that God would do something special you know maybe last week you came down and we prayed for you like ah we did that last week but if God didn't answer then we need to pray again amen man we need to not stop you know he tells us keep knocking keep knocking keep knocking and we would want to pray for you and you may have been sitting there thinking if he says my thing i'm going to go down for prayer if he says my thing i'm going to go down for prayer but i haven't said your thing yet well consider this me saying your thing <laughs> you should come down so that we could pray for you again i'm going to pray then we're going to stand in worship and we'll have folks along the front who can pray for you let's pray together